Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. You may have seen a news story a couple of weeks ago. We certainly did. It got our attention, and that's why we're about to talk with the guest that we have on. Um, regarding, and this was the headline, surgeons forced to decide which patients have the worst cancer and won't survive as crisis deepens. Christchurch surgeons uh, have been ordered to cut cancer surgery lists further. They say they're being forced to decide which patients have the worst cancer and won't survive. And one of those surgeons, speaking up at the time in the story, high-profile colorectal surgeon Frank Fazil, he said cancer surgeries are being deferred. And here's a quote from him. It's about who has the worst cancer and who won't survive until next week without intervention. And Frank Vizel joins us on Reality Check Radio. Frank, thanks for coming on. This sounds like a very serious situation. Serious enough for you to speak up, you and other surgeons. First of all, is that risky these days, actually saying something? Thanks, Paul. Yes, uh, it is always risky to say something. You probably understand most government uh, positions have gag clauses in their contract. And so uh, you have to be pretty frustrated to be able to put things at risk to say things. But that said, uh, we're now at that situation where we have tried to work with the system and we're not getting uh, heard or appropriate responses. Mm-hmm. So the problem has focused on Christchurch because uh, we're probably the first to speak out, but it's not a Christchurch alone issue. This is a national issue, and though the focus is on what's called planned care or elective surgery, um, specifically on the cancer patients, there um, it, it is right across multiple areas of care, including uh, not just cancer care, but also emergency care. You probably saw the article last week that was on the media about ambulances up north circulating mm. the ho- driving around the hospital waiting to be able to deliver patients because the emergency rooms had no facilities to deal with them. Um, you're probably aware of the media flush today about what's going on in Southland where radiation oncology, Otago in Southland, where radiation oncologists uh, are not able to treat people because they don't have enough resources, enough staff, and that um, patients are being uh, left untreated. So it's, it's not just elective care, it's right across the whole spectrum, and it's not just Christchurch. It's right the way around the country, this problem. So the issue that brought this to a head was a group called anaesthetic technicians, which are the people that assist the anaesthetist in looking after you when you're asleep having an operation. And Christchurch had gone from 80-odd down to 50-odd of these, and that meant that a lot of uh, patients operating had to be postponed or cancelled. What brought it to a head is that we were only ever working at about 70% capacity out of COVID, and initially we were working at less because we were short of nurses. And at the end of last year, the government changed the regulations around nurses coming in from overseas, and that really made a big step forward about trying to fix this whole nurses. But the next step in the line, once you've got the nursing staff, are actually anaesthetic technicians. And though there were some local issues with this, it's not just Christchurch that's short of them, many other hospitals are as well. Um, And that meant that the operations couldn't go ahead. And we were reduced. We normally have 15 all-day operating sessions every week for general surgery, which deals with a lot of cancer. And we were down to nine. 
orthopedics, which are apparently the joint um, replacement sort of lists out of Burwood, which normally have um, sort of 12 operating sessions a week, uh, all-day operating sessions uh, in a week, down to three. And that's just some examples uh, across the whole care platform. Um, so elective surgery would have been pulled back substantially uh, and there were very poor communications to patients. And one morning alone, I had four complaints from patients about their delay in surgery. These are people that have been waiting months and months uh, and they're just not able to get into the system, not able to progress things. Uh, they're on the waiting list, but they can't get it. And then people that were getting dates were getting cancelled. Um, so it, it's not just the cancer, it's right across, but cancer is definitely the bit that has been drawing, been drawn attention to itself. Okay, so it sort of sounds stuffed to me as you as you talking it to, to use a very non-medical description or munted even um a couple of things there first of all i've got to ask this question it's the elephant in the room is this because of mandates um well i don't believe so uh mm. this is the, the the problem is is several for one is the manpower or the the workforce issues uh and the, there's been very poor planning in regard to the number of people we're training and the ability to recruit from overseas and the ability to retain people now there are a large number of young people who are going who have been working through this period that are going to disappear overseas and that's sort of normal new zealand culture where people you know get qualified, go overseas for a few years, but we've held them back for quite a while because of the COVID thing. Uh, and now that uh, that is settling, uh, a lot of these people are going to go and have that, that overseas experience and good on them because that's important for their for their own life. But we, we've also got to replace them. The, the failure to train enough people has been a real issue. You know, most years we train less than 50% of the number of doctors we need uh, and that's not taking into account the loss that we have from that, that stay overseas permanently. So we, we're under-training the number of doctors, we're under-training the number of nurses, the number of anesthetic technicians, and right across the allied health sector that we're short of staff, we need to train more people. But that's not going to fix the problem now. We need to recruit people and we need to we need to be aggressive in our recruiting. Remember that we're not alone with trying to recruit Canada, uh, Australia, Many other countries that have similar values and systems to ourselves are in the same markets, and uh, we, we need to be competitive in that area. And the third thing is we need to look at what we can do to retain people in the workforce. Uh, what, what, what's happened to a lot, though we're going to lose some young people for the overseas experience, there are a lot of other people that are just retiring early. They're just sick and tired of the stresses of the work, of the difficulties of trying to get things done, and they're just walking or reducing their workload. We, we, we had four surgeons at the end of last year go half-time because of this work-life balancing. They're just sick of the frustrations of what's going on. And they need to be replaced, that, that, that amount of work that they would have done. So it's not you know, the, the whole sort of workforce issue is, is a big deal, and we need, we need a group to deal with the workforce issues. Secondly, with the Whara'ora, the, the goals of this are fantastic, the idea of having one system, no longer postcode sort of issues, but the devolvement of the power needs to go to the four areas that, that are defined under this. 
and give them the power to be able to work out what works in their own area. At the moment, having a centralised system is very slow. It's not able to actually uh, be move fast enough to be able to respond to issues. To devolve that power into the four regions will allow some input to, that allows them to tweak things that will suit in the same area. What works in South Auckland for the issues around equity there won't necessarily be the same as what works in Otago Southland for the equity issues there. So you, you, you said equity issues. Um, just explain, I think I know what you mean there, but explain exactly how that works When it comes to individual human beings coming into a hospital needing help, surely, you know, um, you know, everyone's kind of in the same category when they get to that point. Um, Yes and no. Um, As you if you look at the the criteria, the issues around one of the key issues is to address the the inequity that exists in the health sector. Uh, And this really reflects the issues around equity and society. And that alters both health outcomes and in regard to access to health. So one of the key goals of the present system is to try and sort that out. And But how that's done uh, and how much of the inequity is uh, dealt with by, will, will depend very much on the region that this is. Now, obviously, a lot of times this, it relates to uh, differences in race. Um, Maori Pacifica uh, really do much worse across all areas of health, uh, both from coronary disease to cancer treatment. So very much, and I don't want to get into the discussion about this too much because it's not that, it's not really the issue we're here to talk today, but that's no. what one but it's resources, key, right? It's all about it's resources. resources for this. And, and it's about giving the regions some power to work out how they're going to address that. So setting the strategy centrally, great. How they deliver it needs to be given to the regions to work out what works for them. And the third issue, the third area that needs to be addressing is the failure of capital investment into, into the infrastructure. And this has been going on for years under, under resourcing. And there's always a reason. You know, there was a great uh, the, the financial collapse uh, from 2007, 2008. There was a crisis earthquakes. Now there's COVID. There'll be something else. You know, they, these, are, these are things that are just going to keep happening. They always will. Um, what we've got to realise is that you can't wait till you've got the money to invest in, in health. You just have to invest in it. If you decide to build a new hospital now, it'll be 10 years before it actually happens. And by then, we would have been through another cycle of some disaster. Uh, we actually need, uh, and we will have had a change in government at least once, maybe twice, over that 10 years. The We need the, the failure of the three-year election cycle to actually invest in health is really disappointing, and it's we need to alter that. We need to think about things such as comprehensive cancer centres and various other initiatives that will deal with both equity and delivery of sector. And the fourth thing, mm. <laughs> you started me now. Um, <laughs> How many have you got, Frank? Four. <laughs> the fourth thing is we need to use a whole health approach. So it's, it's recognising the public health sector is under is, is under able to deliver, uh, that we need to consider the private sector and any other sector that's able to contribute to that. You probably realise that with COVID, we've had a major reduction in the amount of elective work done. And the result is that a lot of patients are turning up with acute. So if you don't have, your, for example, your gallbladder removed and you've got gallstones, a 
collectively, you're going to end up eventually coming in acutely, and then you'll either get sorted or you get put back on the cycle to come around. But acute loads increased by about 30%, um, and that's got that space for that's got to come out of something, and the only, there's no room to expand in the sector at the moment. So therefore, it's got to cut into elective services, which seems, means that you're uh, feeding back people not being done back into it, which are turning up acutely. So the problem just keeps getting worse. We need we need to break that cycle. And it was estimated both by the Planned Care Committee, which has now been um, disbanded, and by the, the committee from, in the UK, that we need to do about 1.3 times our normal workload for five years in order to close that gap. Um, and people that are waiting that weren't treated over COVID uh, for benign conditions and everything else. Um, so that is not something that is... Uh, that w- when you're working at 50 to 70% capacity, instead of 1.3 times their normal workload, you can see where the why the problem is just getting worse and worse. Yeah, listening to you there, I mean, there's not much hope actually the way you lay that out because it's there's so many layers to it and they're all they're all going in the wrong direction. So I'm just wondering, it, it, it almost sounds like the nation in regards to this and the capacity issues, training issues, staff issues, the whole the whole shebang needs to go on to some kind of war footing almost to deal with this. Now, the money is there, right? The money's available. They spent $1.3 billion on Transmission Gully. I mean, the money is out there to spend if it's serious enough. This sounds serious enough. So do we, though, do we have the capacity to train oh. the people that need to? I mean, presumably at one point we did because we had them. Oh, and and if, if we haven't, we, have we lost that? Well, for a long time, we've required, we've, we've depended upon overseas doctors wanting to come and live here. We've trained less than the number, less than half the number of doctors we need each year um, to replace those that are retiring to dying uh, and leaving for overseas. So we've got that's that's not new, but it's it's heightened by the fact that we can't pull people from overseas so easily. Right, and we're no longer a competitive country when it comes to salaries and working conditions. So uh, we have to get what from overseas. We're not we're not getting the best. We're getting what's who who wants to come. Oh. Yeah. Well, what about um, doing things from within? Um, I presume you know before the overseas doctor sort of. Um, migration to here, uh, we trained our own, and and you know there were there were you know ways of people uh, uh, funding their training, and I guess there were there used to be bonding and things like that. I mean, we're going to have to go back to those days where we say, okay, no student loans, we'll train you, we'll pay for it, but you got to stay here for X amount of time. Look, that may be worth exploring, but the real issue is the actual lack of training spaces. It's not that if we look at the people who don't get into medical school. The, 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 the level is so high now. There's a lot of very good people that if often end up going to Australia if they're in a if a family can afford so it. So it's too hard. That we need to we need to have more training spaces that will affect right. this issue. We need right. more room. You probably realised earlier this year, and you you can look it up if you want to. But it's heaps of it's well documented in the media that the medical schools offered to increase their numbers, um, but couldn't get an answer and back from government in time to say yes or no for the year. Uh, it needs to be more attention, and it's not just doctors. You know, like we're talking about doctors here, but there is. It's right across the sector, anaesthetic yeah. technicians, um, nurses, um, allied health, physiotherapists, pharmacists, the whole lot. 
Yeah, the speed of getting resources from government via the public service, I guess, that, that seems to be a reoccurring theme. And it's hard to know why that would be, given that anyone, any political party with a, a great outcome on health is going to have, you know, popularity from that, you'd think. Uh, but but that doesn't seem, and the fact that people are suffering doesn't seem to, to bother this system. What's going on there? Yeah, well, I don't know. I think that the difficulty is, is the, the election cycle encourages people to promise the world for, for six months and then deliver as little as they can for the next few years so they can promise the world again. Uh, it's been a bit um, sarcastic, obviously, but if, if you look at it, that's what seems to happen. We, we need a real focus on work on workforce and we need it across the sectors and it's really critical. Uh, sure, we're, we're in the pardon the phrase, we're in the poo now, uh, but if we don't start to plan on this, we're still going to be there uh, in the future. We, we really need to address that. One of the things that will make New Zealand attractive to a lot of the areas is to have centres of excellence. So Australia, every state in Australia now has moved to the concept of comprehensive cancer care, where they have centres like the Peter Mac in Melbourne. Uh, now Adelaide's got something similar, Western Australia, Queensland, uh, New South Wales has, has got uh, exactly the same sort of system. Where, and it works as a focus so that people feel they're part of a team. They can uh, lift the quality. They combine clinical work and research. And they lift the treatment. This is why Australia has got about 16% improvement in survival for most across the whole cancer network that we get in New Zealand. 16, uh, did you say? 16, one six. Wow, that's, a, that's not an insignificant figure. No, and a lot of times you see a lot of patients now going to Australia to get treatment because of the drug choices that we have here and because of the, the various infrastructure issues that we have with delivery. Um, and it doesn't, if we don't, if we don't address this, this is, if we take tomorrow, we're going to introduce this. It's going to be 10 years. But the fact that we have to wait till we can afford to is actually a bit ridiculous because we can't afford not to because we need to do something. But also, we don't actually have to pay for it for a long time. Uh, we will have to pay for it. But the whole structure, the way things happen in health, they take, they take an awful long time. So if we don't take a plan and start moving forward, it's, we're going to miss the opportunity to do so. But these centres, they, they train people and they also become, you know, do you want to work for something that's progressive, going ahead, that's, that's cutting edge, or do, you want to, or do you want to work for something that's resource poor, where you have to fight for everything you, you do? No. And that's why we're leading staff, senior staff, to Australia, because they've got a more progressive, positive approach and better resourced. Now, I realise New Zealand's a bit different from Australia. We can't just dig our wealth out of the ground uh, and sell it, and we've got to grow it on top of the ground. Um, and so it's a fundamentally different sort of society. But we do need to invest in our, our health sector, and we need to look at these options. It's kind of depressing listening to you, i got to say, Peter. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be positive here. There are some <laughs> no, solutions. No, well, no. I mean, it's good to know what the problems are and, and see them clear-eyed so you know what you're dealing with. And I think people are just starting to understand that now with that story. And 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 the way you've described it, it, it sounds like it needs like a, a rebuilding of the system pretty well across the board, and it's going to take time. In the meantime, you're having to tell patients uh, people who are suffering, like you know, mentioned in that story that we referred to at the start, that that maybe they're not going to get 
timely treatment. And you mentioned also that, you know, there's a, like a, what a, a sort of a disconnect between um, the uh, customer relations. I don't know what you call it, patient relations and, uh, and the uh, institution in dealing with this. So it, it sounds like the worst of all worlds at the moment. It's election year. So what do you want to hear? Because it starts with the political party, though I take your point about the three-year cycle and how that's sort of wired to to not produce the result. What mm. do you want to hear? Uh, what will satisfy you as, yep, okay, they're thinking about this. This sounds positive um, for you to, uh, in, in, well, not even endorse, but to think that change could come and what is needed could arrive at some point in election year. Well, we need some engagement from the from the uh, senior politicians involved with health. Uh, at the moment, there's there's a, a sort of cone of silence around them. Uh, they need to get out and say something, and and make it clear what they're going to do, how they're going to fix it. Um, waiting for Tafara Ora to deliver on this is, is you know. <laughs> It's like waiting for Christmas. It'll arrive one day, but we're trying to fix the problem. We're trying to deal with it now. Um, the the difficulty with health, it's a bit like insurance. You don't know what you've got till you need it. It's not like you can take it out for a drive when you buy a car and you can see where the rattles are and what tyres are flat, are flat. Your health, you don't know what you've got. And then mm. you get sick and then you need it and you can't do anything about it. You've got to live with what you've got. What we're trying to do is give a very clear message what we've got is not what we want, and it's not what we, it's not it's not good enough for what we need. Um, so it's really important that we don't wait till we all need it. The people that are tr- that need it now are not getting what they thought they had. Um, and that, that they paid their taxes for. Let's never yes, forget that. Honest. Yes, they did, and they thought that it would solve their problem. But now they're sitting out there. Many people for more than a year. You saw that over 6,000 people are waiting more a year for elective surgery uh, when they were told that they'd be done within four months. Uh, I think this is uh, it's disappointing, the gap between expectations that have been created and the ability to deliver is, gro- is huge. And instead of it getting smaller, it's getting bigger. And my point is we need to... We need to do something to make it small, to, to try and reduce that gap, to show some progress, to have some hope. You said it was very, that I'm being very pessimistic. I'm trying to say that there is a solution that people are willing to engage on it, but it needs to come from the politicians. The people at the workforce that are on the front line are just busy shoveling one thing after another as fast as they can trying to deal with the problem. But the real control of this problem is political, and that's where the answer have to come for. Yeah, that's um, that's sobering. Uh, considering the current government is uh, of the working class, <laughs> you know that was the whole point. The whole bloody point of it was to, so the average person could have security and the best. Best, uh, it's just all all gone. You, you, yes, you sort that, of can't that, write the script, really, can you? No. Well, I think that it, it was COVID. No doubt took the eye off, led to them taking the eye off the ball with health. But the problem wasn't good before that. And, um, and no, no, that, that's a fair enough point. But, you know, if you're a professional in this business, you know that this could take your eye off the ball. And you know what could come of, you know, the various scenarios can be mapped out um, that come from uh, resources being thrown around in a turbulent time. It, it's like that wasn't even thought about. Uh, look, you're quite right. And um, I think that the people that dealt with COVID and through the ministry did a great job. 
But um, there should have been some uh, effort gone behind the scene because it's like when things are hard, you always know it's going to get better eventually, and that's the difficulty. When COVID was bad, they should have had a workforce working at how they're going to recover after COVID, and there doesn't seem to be any transparency that this happened, and if it did happen, well, they've been they haven't delivered. Um, so we do need some action on this, and we do need to try and get this get back in alignment with where the supply of what we can deliver in the public sector and demand what patients need to, to be able to participate and enjoy their life and better match than what we've got today. Well, um, good on you for speaking out. I hope, I hope the consequences aren't too much. <laughs> my age, it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> Is that the thing, you know, you can only really speak out about something like this if you, if you haven't got much, well, whatever stage of life you're at, to lose necessarily. You don't have a like a like a 40 or 50-year career ahead of you. You don't want to rock the boat, but but someone in your situation can. Well, I, I think that you, you do get it, – it's not because other means of communication weren't right. No, I'm sure, yeah. It was because this is an expression of immense frustration. Uh, at, at, at the failure of successive um, sort of attempts. The previous uh, Minister of Health, who did very little... Um, who was the previous Minister? It was um, um, Little, was it? Yes. <laughs> oh, the, him. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. He, yeah, look, he noted uh, it, it was just failure to engage in, in things. And the new Minister, one has to give her the due. She's just arrived in the job and like being passed a hot potato, it's very, very awkward. Uh, and no doubt she's trying to get to grips with this, but she needs to come out and say things. She is a doctor, though, isn't she? She's actually a medical person. Is, am that, I correct? That, that hopefully will be helpful, but we've had other doctors in that role in the past that necessarily haven't necessarily been a benefit. Uh, uh, in fact, okay. some of the best people we've had in there in the past have been things like lawyers and that sort of thing. It's, it relates to the people's skill at, at managing things, not necessarily the fact you've got a medical qualification. Right. Okay. Well, um, Surgeon Frank Frizzell, thank you for coming on Reality Check Radio and giving us a reality check. That certainly is one. And um, uh, maybe we'll talk again and and we'll watch to see what happens. And people who are thinking about how they vote and what policies they're looking out for can factor this now in very strongly to their thinking. So thank you for that. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.